Well, praise the Lord for giving us this opportunity to uh, come together. Is it on? Okay. Praise the Lord. Amen. It's good to release our spirit. Amen. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> well, the brothers are here arranged uh, to have uh, three sessions this weekend uh, to have a conference of the churches here together uh, beginning tonight and then tomorrow night, and then Lord's Day uh, morning uh, in Newton. Uh, well, when I, uh, when I was made known about this uh, uh, conference, I wasn't sure what, is, uh, what it's going to be about. Uh, when I arrived here, uh, I heard there would be going to be a conference. <laughs> and uh, so... Um, but I would say that, uh, you know, in these uh, close to three weeks now, uh, I've been here, uh, little by little, the Lord has been uh, um, speaking to me, in me, uh, and I believe uh, that this is His speaking for us, for the churches here. Um, <clears throat> well, as you see, that uh, I put a general subject um, of these, uh, for this conference, to be cooperation with God for his move. Um, you know, many of us, we all know the Lord has a move on the earth, and especially uh, in this area, uh, the Lord has uh, done so much. Um, I'm not going to get into that tonight, uh, maybe tomorrow, um, we'll say more, but as a whole, we know uh, God has a move. And particularly, uh, just even in these last uh, six or seven years, I would say the Lord's move here was just, it's like a torrent. In many ways, what had been brought forth in, um, in this area in the last six or seven years is beyond man. It's beyond uh, any of our imagination, beyond any of our expectation. Uh, you surely know God is living, God is moving, and you and I, we should feel so blessed that we are in the, in the heart of his move. Amen. We are part of his move. Amen. But it's one thing to know that God has a move, uh, yet another thing to know how to cooperate with his move. Uh, so tonight, in this first message, I title this as Man Being God's Channel and God Being Man's Center. Uh, I love this title. I love especially those two words, channel and center. CNC. Hallelujah for CNC. Amen. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> this is how we are going to cooperate with God in his move, by being the channel, uh, by also taking Christ as our center. And, uh, well, let me see, before we get into that, I say a little bit about uh, concerning God's move. That, uh, uh, you know, God has this move in the universe, and through this move, he carries out his work. And as a whole, 
in the Bible, we are shown God's work is mainly consisted of these three sections. One is the work of creation. And second, the work of redemption. And the third is the work of building. This is God's work in this period of time, right? So God came to create, and then after the creation, especially after the fall, God came in to redeem because of the fall of man. And after he redeemed man to God, back to God, then his real work, his real goal is to do the building work, which ultimately consummates in the new Jerusalem. Well, if you consider the work of creation, we know that was done by God solely, exclusively, right? In his sovereignty, in his omnipotence, he did the work of creation in six days, right? Marvelously. And he said, and it was, and he ordered, and it stood. So that was, that was the creation of God. He did it all by himself, Then, how about the work of redemption? Well, apparently, that was also done by himself, right? He himself, only he is qualified to be the Savior, to be the Lamb of God, to redeem. uh, Only he is the qualified one, the perfect one, the sinless one, to become our sacrifice, to bear man's sin. However, However, even in the work of redemption, God has to seek a channel. God has to obtain a, uh, a person. In this case, is the Virgin Mary, who opened to him, who allowed God to be conceived in her and to be brought forth through her. Without God, being brought forth, being conceived in a human virgin womb, right? and being brought forth through humanity, he could not have been the Savior. Yes, only he is the qualified one. Only he is the perfect one, the sinless one, to redeem us, uh, to redeem us from our sins. But in order to be such a one, God has to come to visit man. Amen. Right? Amen. And praise the Lord for Mary. Right, when the angel Gabriel came to her and broke this news to her, you're going to bear a child, and the Holy One will be born in you. And all she said was, let this word be done in me according to your word. Let it be done according to your word. She didn't argue. She didn't question. She just said, just let it be done. Amen. So, indeed, there was, uh, God needed that cooperation from this a uh, uh, single channel, a uh, vessel, to allow him to be conceived and born in humanity to become our Savior. Then, after he accomplished the work of redemption, uh, he not only took care of man's sins, but he also became the life-giving spirit to regenerate man and to enter into man and to become life to man. So through his work of redemption, this God who was once the creator, who came to be our redeemer, 
Now he came to live inside of man. He came to become mingled with man. He becomes even one with man. And from this stage onward, everything that is being carried out in the, in the section of God's building work involves not just God, but also humanity. Also man. In every stage of God's building work is a work that involves both divinity and humanity. God himself cannot do the building work. The building work is a work of mingling, is a work of uh, blending together of divinity and humanity, God and man working together as one to produce this building. So this is a great matter. Um, you know, as on one hand, I, re- I, b- I know that uh, uh, many of you, having been in the church life for a little while, uh, you know, these words, you have heard words of uh, uh, union, mingling together with God, being one with God, and so forth. But I still have a uh, uh, question mark within me uh, as to how deeply are we impressed with the fact that God needs us. God needs man. Without man, God cannot do anything. And also, on our part, we need God. Without God, we cannot do anything. God and man, man and God, have a very, very intimate relationship. And uh, tonight we come to this matter about seeing man being God's, being God's channel and God being man's center. Um, <clears throat> You know, we, if we were uh, asked, uh, what would you be? What would you like to be before God? Right? What would you like to be before God as a man? If you were asked, probably you would, say, you would like to say, I'd, I'd, like to be a, I'd like to be a holy man. Or I'd like to be a powerful man. I'd like to be a spiritual man. I like to be a victorious man, right? For your, to fight for your kingdom, for, to defeat the enemy. I want to be a victorious man. What's wrong with that? Of course, there's nothing wrong with that. Yes, there are many aspects we aspire to be as man before God. But tonight we are going to touch on this something very basic, yet I would say extremely crucial matter concerning this unique aspect that God wants man to be for the fulfillment of his purpose. That is, man needs to be his channel. Man needs to be his channel. It's not for you to be a mighty man, powerful man, holy man, spiritual man, but simply to be a channel. We're going to see more about that. And also, what do you want God to be to you? You want God to be, oh, I want God to be love to me. I need love. I want God to be grace to me. I need grace. I want God to be uh, supply to me. Uh, I need supply. 
But ultimately, from God's side, He wants to be our man's center. He doesn't want to be just your love, your grace, your supply. He wants to be man's center. He wants to be the very center of your human life. If you have Him as the center of your human life, he, you will have Him as your love, as your guidance, as your wisdom, and so forth. So, these two things, this is what we're going to look at tonight. Uh, but before that, I'd like to point out to you, according to what the Bible presents to us, a solemn fact. A solemn fact, what is that? That is, God, this God, has limitations. The Bible presents to us this fact, which is really, it's a solemn matter. God is not, God in himself, he is infinite. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. No one can withstand him. As I said, he says, and then it, it is. He ordered, and it stood. Who can go against him? But nevertheless, when you read the Bible, you cannot deny that God has limitations. God is, God is uh, just uh, encountering limitation after limitations. Here, so we have this, uh, the first, first Roman numeral touching this matter, the limitations of God. Here it says, although God is omnipotent, the fact that he cannot work out certain things shows that he has limitations. In your experience of God, does he have limitations? Do you feel God is infinite in you, Randall? He can just freely do anything that he wishes? What do you say? He, he has limitations. In wonder, God, you're almighty, you're omnipotent, you created and you set and it is, and you, stu- and you ordered and it stands. Why, why should there be any limitation to what you want to do? But nevertheless, the Bible clearly shows us again and again that God has limitations. You look at these verses in Matthew 13, Christ, the Son of Man, right, as a sower, he went out to sow seeds of the kingdom. And, you know, the seed sown among the thorns, and the thorns grew, and the word says, the thorns choked the word. The word is the very God himself, as life in the form of seed, to be sown into into the human heart. Yet there is a condition of man that the Bible actually says, it chokes the word causing that word not be able to grow. The word is in you. The word has been sown into your heart, but somehow you have the ability to choke God. You can choke God, causing him not be able to grow as he wished. Then you have, in chapter 23, Matthew, at the end of that chapter, you have the Lord, you know, after... Uh, preaching the gospel, and uh, the very cities, they, they rejected him. Then he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I desire to gather you, like a hand, gather the children, right? Gather the chick, but you would not. Here, the Lord says, 
he, he desired. He desired to gather. But God's children would not. So he said, you would ask, Lord, what hinders you? you? Couldn't you just gather them anyway? What can stop you? Right? You could just do it. But he would not. He honored your, your wish, your desire. You, if you would not go along, he respect that. Even though he desired to gather us. But if you would not, he would just stay apart. And you have also in Numbers, where it tells us about Jehovah even sworn. He has sworn to, have the, to give the good land to the children of Israel. God, God even swore for the land to be given to the children of Israel. But then he says, but some of you, because of your unbelief, you will not see it. You will not enter it. God even swore in himself to give this land to his children, to the children of Israel, but some will not enter in, some will not even see it because of their unbelief. And you have this Second uh, Chronicles 16.9 is a very precious verse telling us the eyes of Jehovah going to and fro over the whole earth seeking the, to, to uh, strengthen those who have a perfect heart toward him. Not to just strengthen everybody in general, but strengthen those who, whose heart is perfect toward him. Right? And then you have Mark, uh, um, Mark chapter 6, also referring to the Lord, you know, preaching the gospel in different cities. And, uh, uh, and it's, it says that uh, he could not do any more, pow- any more works of power among them because of their unbelief. So this infinite, omnipotent God, in himself, nothing can stop him. In himself, he has an infinite power. Yet, when he comes to work with man, he is subject to man's condition and causing him to be limited in many ways. So, B says, God has limitations because he must obtain certain conditions before he can proceed with his work. The limitations of God are related to the interaction of three wills in the universe. God's will, Satan's will, and man's will. In this universe, if there's only God's will, which is perfect, absolute, and complete, there would be no problem, right? But the Bible shows us also that along with this absolute, eternal, perfect will of God, there is another will posed by his enemy, Satan. That will, he, that Satan also has a will. That will is evil. That will is destructive and is always in opposition to go against God's perfect will. And in between these two wills, God's perfect absolute eternal will, and the satanic evil will, the destructive will, stands man's will. And man's will is neutral. God's will is eternal and absolute. 
And man and Satan's will is evil and destructive and always opposing whatever God tries to work out in his will. But man's will is neutral. And, and the success of the working out of God's will depends on where man's will lies. It's just like in the Garden of Eden, man was placed before two trees. You have the, God, the tree of knowledge and the tree of, uh, tree of knowledge of good and evil, and then the tree of life. Man had to choose. Man has to make a choice. God did not put man in a state, in a condition, where he has no choice. If I were God, I would just leave it, the tree of life, and that's it. Make sure nothing, nothing wrong will happen, right? Nothing will go wrong. But our God is not like this. Our God is so broad. He doesn't want man to choose him because he has to. He has no other option. God gave man a free will, putting him before two choices and warning him what the consequence will be if you choose that wrong choice. But he would not force him and expecting him, he had to exercise your free will to choose rightly. If, he, if man chooses the tree of life, then he will be one with God, then God's will can be carried out. But unfortunately, we know man made the wrong choice, right? Man chose to eat of the tree of life, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which stands for Satan's will. And that brought in the fall of man and the whole thing, just rolling down the hill, one, you know, and all, all of us uh, became, became the descendants of that, all of the product of that fall. So, here, you can see, although God's will in himself is perfect, absolute, uh, and complete, yet, there is, because of Satan's evil will, uh, opposing, and yet, and also depending on where man's will is placed, right, that he will not be able to advance his work. So depending, so here, uh, uh, Man's will is crucial. God's will is already there, eternal, perfect. And Satan, he is, his will is obstinate. He is uh, determined to always go against God. He is the enemy of God, who eventually will be terminated, will be rid of, and thrown into the lake of fire. Amen. And we know that will be his destiny. Amen. But in the meantime, we still have to work around this guy, right? Somehow to... Somehow to Exercise our human will in the proper way, not to side with the satanic will, but to side with God's will. And he says the church, as the body of Christ, can be used either to express Christ or to limit Christ. Now, I know in the past we spoke a lot about the body of Christ, but always in a positive, positive sense. The church is the body, the fullness of the one who fills all in all. Indeed. The church is not just a building, it's not just uh, an organization. The church is Christ's body. And this is not a type, this is not a prefigure, this is the actuality. In reality, the church is the body to Christ. It is part of him, just like a human body. I, we all have a body that carries us. 
But this body, on the one hand, we can always say, my body expresses me, right? Uh, If I only have a head hanging here, it's not a very good-looking expression, right? But with a body, you know, that has a good expression. But at the same time, my body poses much limitation to me also, right? And especially as one gets older, you get some aches and pains, and you wish your body is just... uh, uh, you know, it can be can 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 be freer, can be uh, more 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 available. Your body is just uh, also, on the one hand, it is a means for you to be expressed, but on the other hand, the body can pose limitation to you. And so is the body to Christ. The body, as the church, which is the body, should be the means for for Christ to be expressed. It is the fullness of Him. Amen. He expects His body to express Him. But have we ever thought that, have we ever thought that this body, which is such an intrinsic part to Christ, can also pose limitation to God? If we don't exercise the way we should, if we don't cooperate with, with Him the way we should, we actually pose much limitation to this Christ who wants to express Himself. Point E says, our capacity will be the capacity of the power of God. God will be as great as our capacity allows Him. This thought is is, uh, is sobering. God in Himself, He is almighty, all-powerful, but yet He is only as powerful as you allow Him to be. You know, many times we use this illustration, it's like a big reservoir, it's a big, big mass of water. But yet, at the dam there, you only open a small conduit, a little pipe, one-inch pipe, two-inch pipe. And here on the other end, you see a trickle of water. It's a stream of water flowing out. What's wrong? There's, any, you know, it's a, there's hardly any water coming out. And behind that dam is just a, this mass, massive body of water but is this massive body of water is limited by this little pipe, this one-inch pipe, two-inch pipe. You think, oh, this is, there's not much going on here. There's not much happening here. No, it's, not, it's, it's just you only allow God to that, do that much. You only open one inch to Him. You only open two inches to Him. What if you would open the whole wall? What if you open 10 foot, 20 feet open wall? The water would just torrent rushes out. The limitation God faces is not within himself. It's because of us. Because of man. So, our capacity determines the capacity of the power of God. And God will be as great as our capacity allows him. And thinking about this fact, it is sobering. You cannot blame God that he is not good enough for you, he is not, you know, he is not rich enough for you. No. How, how much have you allowed him to be rich to you? How much you allowed him to be gracious to you? So we are talking about this, this, this matter, that God has limitations. And I hope, you know, at least, uh, I think this is something that you need to bring before the Lord and pray over. Lord, are there limitations I have, I pose to you? 
that uh, um, how to enlarge this pipe from this quarter inch, one inch, right? How about enlarge another inch, another inch? So that as we go on in our life, we can sense, my, there's more flow. There's more water. There's a, you know, it's not just trickle, but there is, there is, a, there is a flood, flowing force. Don't you want that? We all, I, I long to see that. Here in Boston, especially, God wants to see a torrent. God wants to see a mighty flow. Not just a little trickle. Oh, I, my thirst is quenched. Praise the Lord. I'm not thirsty anymore. No, God doesn't want to just merely quench your thirst. God wants to flood Boston. Amen. He wants to flood. He wants to bring forth all that He is in His fullness. But where is the channel? Where is the opening? So this principle presented to us in the Word is sobering. It's a sobering one. And so we come, it brings us to this point. This is uh, this first aspect that we want to see is what man should be to God. You may want to be a powerful man, to be a spiritual man. Oh, you want to, you know, you're all the trainees here, you know, 36 of you come to the third year training. You, you know, gone through two years. You, that's not enough. You want to get more training because you want to be more, you want to be more useful. You want to be more spiritual. You want to be more knowledgeable. You want to be able to do more work for God. You be well, trainees, of course, I've been with you this week. I say this again. God wants you really just to be a channel. God doesn't want you to be, even after three years of training, now you become an expert in certain areas, expert in gospel preaching, expert in campus work, expert in the, in the administration of the church. No, no, no. God wants to make you just a channel. Amen. Why God's move in Boston is still limited. It's because there are no channels. For a period of probably 30 years, nearly, nearly, I said to the young adults a couple of weeks ago, nearly it was a, it was a frozen period for 30 years. There was no flow. There was no, no as, of, as of there's no water behind the, in the, behind the dam. It's not that there's no water behind the dam, but there's no hole on the, on the wall. No opening. But we are, I sense, brothers and sisters, we are at a very critical point in history. And I believe also at this particular juncture in time, we are at, a, we are at another new beginning. Right? The Lord has done so much in these past six or seven years and bringing the, you know, bringing the churches in fellowship, in oneness, and also bringing... Uh, the trainees here, the trainings here, uh, 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 the training uh, uh, established here, and even the full and the training center. The building is finally completed. There's something. Don't you sense the Lord wants to do something? Amen. What's going to happen? You ne- you have you have never even you have never even thought of in your mind. What the Lord wants to, wants to do and carry out here, you have, not, you, can, you have not even imagined what the Lord wants to do. There's so much more. 
I even have a sense that something, something is going to explode. Amen. You know, this wall, how, how long is it going to hold back this water? Right? There's going to be a dam burst. Amen. <laughs> Amen. To, to yield to him. To, if we see this, today the, 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 the holding back is not on God's side. It's not... It's not with the amount of water that is shortage, that is short. Today, the, the very factor, the criteria, is how many openings God can find. Man, I tell you, to be a channel is blessed, is a blessed, most blessed to be. Much better than to be a powerful, mighty man, spiritual man, just to be a channel. He says, man's unique status in the universe is a bridge and a way between eternity past and eternity future. In eternity past, in eternity future, where God's omnipotence is fully shown, fully manifested, no one could hinder and frustrate him in any way. But in between these two eternities, what we call the bridge of time, Actually, the real bridge is not just time. The real bridge is man. Man is the very bridge, the very crossway, the very, the very connection to bring God from eternity past to eternity future. And sorry to say, this bridge oftentimes is a little treacherous. It's not easy for God to walk on this bridge. This bridge... Uh, you know, get a little weak sometimes. This bridge, bridge gets, uh, you know, get a little wimpy. Uh, and, uh, you know, you just wonder, you know, how can God get across from eternity past to eternity future? He has to do it with man. Man is the bridge. Man is the way. But depending on how much man is willing to cooperate with him, that would determine how fast and how uh, easy it is for God to go across to bring him to the eternity future. Man has this unique status. You are a bridge. You are a way to God. And B says, God's need of man for his work. Isaiah 6, 8 says, Jehovah says, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? The triune God here is crying out, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Can you imagine? I can see Ken saying that, right? And Ken would say, who will say, who will do this? Who will go to Harvard? Who will go to make that appointment? Because that's Ken, right? He's just a man. But for God, the infinite, omnipotent God to say, whom can I send? Who will go for us? Someone, you, listen, you know, reading, you, you seem to have a little... Pity with God. God seems to be God is so pitiful that no one that God is looking who who will go for us? Whom can we send? Aren't there millions and millions of people? Aren't there myriads of angels whom are all around, of course, at his disposal? But God didn't want to send angels. That's easy. Those are just his just uh, uh, angelic beings. But he, God wants to work with man 
And he's looking for man to be the channel, to be the means for, to be sent out. But he will say, whom can I send? Who will go for us? And surely, not every man would just say, like Isaiah says, here I am, send me. But indeed, God is today, he is looking for channels, for openings, for vessels who can respond to him in this way. Here I am, Lord, send me. I tell you, brothers and sisters, I believe if all of us in this room, though not, not that many, maybe you know, 150, 180 of us, if all of us will be able to say to the Lord, here I am, send me. Amen. Boston will explode. Boston will explode, I, re- I believe. Because God will have an unhindered way to release what he wants to do. And as the, as the Lord taught us to pray, Father, may thy will be done on earth as it is in the heavens. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your will can be worked out on the earth as it is in the heavens without hindrance, without limitation. God needs man for his work. Number two says, in God's calling of Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt, he revealed to Moses that he needed him, a thorn bush, to be the carrier of the holy flame of God to work out his purpose. This week in one of the classes, in the training, I touched this. And I was deeply impressed by this matter. I want to bring this out also here tonight. That we know Moses... When he was, you know, he, was, uh, he grew, up, grew up in Pharaoh's uh, palace, well-educated, well-trained, well-prepared uh, in every way. Then he also thought he must have also received some commission uh, from his parents that he is a Hebrew, then he and the Hebrews are being enslaved here in Egypt, and God wants to bring his people, and we should get out of here. So he himself, although well-educated, grew up in the, in the king's palace, he knows his commission. He wanted to do something as, a, as one of the Hebrews to rescue God's people out of Egypt. So at the age of 40, seeing that, you know, the fighting between the Hebrew and Egyptian, and then he, of his own, by his own zeal, he went up, defended his people, knocked down this uh, Egyptian guy and buried him in the sand and thinking that uh, he did a great work for God. But not knowing that the things didn't turn out the way he he expected, you know, the news got out, and then he was on on the chase. He is a a fugitive. He is, uh, you know, on the run to the wilderness. And there he was left there to take care of sheep for 40 years. And... uh, uh, the God who heard the cry of the children of Israel. But God waited for 40 years. You know, how, how much God wanted to deliver the children of Israel. He, he prepared Moses from birth, right? Preserving his life among so many, child, so many babes being killed. Now he got preserved. And God waited 40 years for him to grow up, for him to get the education that he needed. And, after, and then at the age of 40, 
Apparently, he, was a little, he, he, he thought he was ready, but God says, you're not ready yet. In yourself, by your own strength, you are still too strong. So, God let that happen, and he ran away to the wilderness and talking to sheep for 40 years. <laughs> After 40 years, you know, this, I don't think, you know, when Jehovah appeared to him, and Jehovah appeared to him, you know, asking him to send him to talk to Pharaoh, he said, I'm a man slow in words. I cannot speak. I can't believe it. How, Moses, I believe he was one of, must be one of the most eloquent person. Trained, you know, he wrote Pentateuch. He wrote, look at Deuteronomy that he wrote. Yet he was saying that he, he, when he first met God there in the wilderness, I'm slow in words, I can't talk, I don't, I don't have good utterance. You know, God was, God was, God didn't, God didn't negate what he said. He just said, hey, but, but God was angry. God was upset. He shouldn't have said that. But here, at least you have a brother. You have a, you know, you have a brother, a, uh, 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 um, Aaron, you know, he can be your mouthpiece. You speak to him. You put words in his mouth. He will speak for you. And uh, until he, be, he was 80, and there... Jehovah appeared to him in the wilderness as an, as an angel of Jehovah, appearing to him, what, in this, in this spectacular sight, this scenery of a burning, a thorn bush burning with fire. That sight caught Moses' attention. He saw, how could this thorn bush in flame, yet it's still burning. It's not consumed. It should have been burned just in short, in a, in a few moments. But this thing is still going. God here, in his coming to call Moses, to impress him, Moses, you are actually that thorn bush. What is good, for thorn, what is good about thorn bush? What is it, anything good? <laughs> Not even firewood. You just <laughs> good for the trash can for the dumpster. You know, you, just, you know, it's not like pine wood or pine or or oak tree. You know, you you are just an ugly, useless thorn bush. But I want to come to you, visit you as a flame, to sit upon you, be held by you. And to become even one with you. If you have a choice, right? If you want, Peter, you, you want to be a, a, uh, uh, a powerful evangelist or to be a thorn bush? Probably the former, right? Be honest. That's true, yeah. You want to be a powerful evangelist, you want to be a great, useful servant to God. But God wants to impress Moses in order for him to, in, in order for God to work out his, his purpose, God must gain him as a thorn bush. Not able to do anything. It's worthless, vile, mean, yet fully available to be the vehicle, to be the means to hold the divine flame. God wants to burn. God wants to burn in us. 
God wants to burn with us. Eventually, in that wilderness, there is a fireball there. That flame and the, and, the, and, the, and the thorn bush became just one. There was a fireball. Oh, I, I tell you, I, I don't know. I, these couple of days as I'm considering what the Lord wants to speak to us here. This is exactly what the Lord wants to speak to us. God wants to gain a fireball. Not a fire just dropped down from the heavens. He wants to get a fireball, a flame that is sitting upon thorn bushes. Vile, lowly, worthless, but fully made available to him. We have no desire to be anything, to be anybody. We just are, we realize in our natural self, we are just thorn bushes, but as the holder of the divine flame. God needs a channel. Forty years before, I don't think Moses was yet realized he was a thorn bush. Of course, he was a thorn bush from birth, but he don't think that was his realization. He would not recognize. After 40 years of training in the Pharaoh's palace, I became a thorn bush. No way. I'm at least a tall pine tree, you know. You know, mighty oak tree. But no, God revealed to him, you are really just a thorn bush, but I need the thorn bushes to be the means to hold the divine flame. God wants to burn Boston. God wants to burn New England. But he, needs, he cannot just cast fire to the earth directly. He needs this fire needs to sit on something. God needs a channel. God needs a, God to gain a, a vehicle, the means offered to him to be a channel. What is a channel? A channel is not a machine. A channel is not a computer. A channel cannot do nothing. Can do nothing. A channel is just, just a, a passageway for someone to walk on, for something to pass through. It cannot generate anything by itself. The unique status of all of us is such a channel to be such a way for the triune God to walk, walk on, to walk through, that we would be the thorn bushes offered to him to hold this divine flame. I may be ugly, I may be useless, I may not be anything, but I have a fire in me. I have a flame in me. I really hope, brothers and sisters, this is my prayer these days, Lord, Lord, ignite us. Right? Send your fire to us. Not burned by myself. Even the, when the fire burns, it's not, it's not burning off, burning, it's not burning off the, 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 the bush. The bush is not consumed. Because the fire is the, it's not the fuel that, uh, that carries the flame. God is the source. God is the fuel. But he needs a seat. He needs a carrier to be available to him. God needed Cornelius, next point says, to send for Peter to come to bring salvation to him and to his household. Again, another, another example in Acts 10. Here's Cornelius, a devout person, God-fearing person, and God saw him. He uh, wanted to bring salvation to his household. God sent an angel to him. An angel to what? To ask him, to tell him, go and fetch Peter in this certain place, and ask him to come to you and speak to you, then bring salvation to your house. 
Why wouldn't God just speak directly through the, the angel and bring the gospel directly? Wouldn't it be better for the, you know, the angel? The angel can speak the gospel too. Eventually, at the end of the age, the angels will be preaching the gospel. So God sent the angel to Cornelius for him to go and get this man called Peter to come. He will speak to you. Why all this trouble, right? And to get Peter, who was still full of concept, was fighting, struggling about this on the rooftop. Remember this? About the, you know, not, not to eat the, the, the strange food. But God was willing, willing to go through all the trouble, right? Send the, the, the goal is to bring salvation to this household. Amen. And yet he would not even allow the angel to do that job directly. That he had to go to fetch Peter and had to, had to work with him to get him, help him to get through his concept so that he would be willing to come to this household to preach the gospel to him. What a trouble that God had to, had to go through. But he kept the principle. He needed a man. He needed a vessel. He needed, he needed a, uh, uh, such, a, such a channel. Amen. The angels are not qualified to preach the gospel of God's grace. This is true. The angel does not have that grace. The angels are just the servants at the disposal to, uh, of God. God, in his economy, the principle is clear. God needs man. God, even in spite of the difficulty, in spite of all the inconvenience, he, like, he still wants to work with man. God desires all men to be saved, but he needs men to go to bring the gospel to all the nations. It is God's desire to have all men to be saved, but yet this word has been spoken, expressed 2,000 years ago, but today still the gospel is not preached everywhere. Men are still not saved everywhere. It's nothing wrong with God's desire. It's nothing wrong with God's ability but the limitation is with us that we have not been able to allow him to flow out through us. How many persons that we have passed by, that we have missed the opportunity, that, we have, that God wants us to speak to this one or to contact this one, that we have not been faithful and we have let go. So somewhat is too bad in one sense. God has to work with us. And we are slow, we are limiting, and causing much limitation to God. But nevertheless, the fact is true. God needs man. In order for God to carry out his his will, God needs us. And if we realize this, what a sobering matter it is that man can become a limitation to God if we don't cooperate with him. And yet, at the same time, if we, just as thorn bushes, but available, making ourselves available to him, not for doing anything, but just to allow the divine flame to burn in us, to flow out through us. My, I tell you, you will see what God can do far beyond what you can ever imagine. C says, the highest meaning of man's salvation is not merely to be a sinner saved by grace, but to be a counterpart to Christ for his satisfaction and move. Christ came as the Lamb of God to redeem us. And we receive, we got saved, we enjoy his salvation. 
But his, his goal, the highest meaning of his salvation, as I, as, of us being saved, is not just to be, to be uh, a rescue from perdition. The highest meaning of our salvation is that now, through being redeemed, we can become Christ's counterpart. We can become Christ's other half. To satisfy him, to move with him. Just like in Song of Songs, in, in this uh, chapter 7, here is this seeker who was drawn by the Lord, eventually got captured by the Lord, and the Lord began to work on her, and eventually she became Shulamite. She became the feminine form of Solomon, the female Solomon. And as such, she was Christ's not only counterpart, she was Christ's co-worker, right? That in chapter 7 there, in those verses, the Lord told him, come with me. Let's go to the, actually is the, 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 the Shulamite asking, asking the beloved, come with, go together. Let's go to the villages. Let's go to the field, right? To see the churches, to see the chosen ones, to visit them, to shepherd them. Christ needs us, not just as redeemed sinners receiving his grace, but also to be his counterpart, right? He is the bridegroom, we are the bride. So our response to the Lord should be, number one says, as long as there is someone who is willing to be God's channel, a channel that is connected to the heavens, God will be able to obtain a way that is connected to the heavens. Our response to the Lord should be, how about we read this section together in quotes, with our spirit. Lord, Hallelujah. I hope this is our regular prayer before the Lord. Pray this to the Lord many times. Right? This should be our response. And this is the way to be blessed. The more you say, I want to do something for God. I know what God wants. I know God's eternal purpose. I'm here to, I'm here to fulfill God's will. That is not the way. God does not need machines. God does not need so-called victorious men, spiritual men. God needs channels. God needs wide open channels to allow him to flow through unhinderedly. This is the blessed way. Now we come to this uh, second uh, point in this message, which is point section three. Then what should God be to man for God's move? We have, God needs us to be, man should be God's channel. What should God be to us? God should be man's center. The center is the holding part, right? Just like in Colossians 1.17, all things are held 
together in Him, cohere in Him, just like a a, a bicycle rim, a, a wheel. You have the hub holding all the spokes. Christ need to be this center. All the spokes of our daily life, our marriage life, family life, work life, needs to be held by this spoke as the center. All of us in our, in our Christian life, in our church life, there has to be a center. If we don't have a center, everything just falls apart. Everything just hangs loose. You know, we have to have a center. When you have a center, everything is stabilized. Everything is balanced. Everything is regulated. For God's move, God needs such a channel. We need to be such a channel to God. And also, God needs to be, wants to be man's center. It says the Bible reveals that the relationship between God and man is very intimate, so intimate that man cannot leave God and cannot be without God, right? In John 15, we see this. He is the vine, we are the branches. We abide in him, he abides in us. We have a very intimate relationship. When man became independent from God, that is, losing God in his living and losing his relationship with God in his life, he fell into sin. Man's first sin is his becoming independent from God. That was his first sin. Outwardly speaking, yes, man partook, man went against God's commandment and took of that, partook of that tree of knowledge of good and evil. But more deeply, more intrinsically, the source of that, the root of that sin was man's independence. Man, initially, was living in God's presence, right? Before he partook of the tree of knowledge, man, Adam and Eve, lived in their innocence before God, taking God as their provision, as their pleasure, as their uh, protection, right? God is everything to this couple. There was no concern about what's what, about the, uh, uh, you know, about the, uh, the wild animals or about uh, you know, anything. They, were, they have no concern about anything. Right? There's no fear. There's no concern. Because God was the center. And as soon as man became independent as a result of Satan's seduction, seducing of man to question God, right? so man became independent without checking with God, that man went to uh, uh, make their own decision and then took up the fruit, and man's eyes were open. And then man began to pay attention to his environment. The first thing they realized was they were naked. And it's a shame, it's a shameful that they uh, uh, sow leaf, fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. Before that time, they were living in their innocence. They took God as the center. God was the everything. There was no concern about anything. There was not even concern about their, their, their shameful condition, their nakedness. There was not their concern. Their, their concern, their focus was just God himself to be their provision, their pleasure, their protection, their everything. They're not concerned about what's what. As soon as they partook of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, their eyes were open. They concerned of what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is evil. They, send, they have the sense of shame. They want to do something to cover themselves. On the one hand, 
it is a kind of a, uh, the conscience was activated. But on the other hand, it also shows that is the fall of man. Man has fallen from his position of depending on God. Now is depending on his, on his, by using his conscience to discern what is good, what is not good, what is shameful, what is not shameful. And man needed to do something to cover themselves, cover their shame. God wants us to take him as our center. And C says, our concern should not be whether something is right or wrong, good or bad, but whether God, is God in it or not. From the time of the fall, man became to pay attention. Oh, I'm shameful. I need to do something to cover myself. You discern, oh, what is good, what is bad. I shouldn't do this. Oh, this is good. This is right. I can do this. But hardly man would be, uh, consider, where is God in all this? And same thing, this applies to us today as believers, right? What is your standard of reference? When we, you go to concerning your, your marriage life, concerning your work life, concerning your family, concerning your, your relationship with people, what is our reference point? Oh, this is a good friend to have. Oh, I don't like this one. I, he always irritates me. You know, in, 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 uh, in job, you know, so, oh, uh, oh I, rich, I don't like to be rich because rich uh, lures people out just to bring, bring men into temptation. I want to be, I love to be poor. But you think to be poor, you'll be no problem? You <laughs> 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 may be poor, I don't live a simple life. But then, whether it's poor or not poor, the, prop, the, the question is not whether it's rich or, or not rich. The question is, is God in it or not? Where is God in all this? What is our relationship with God? How, it, where, where does God stand in our life? In our marriage? In our work life? For single ones, you know, you, you need to get married. And you want to get married. But in your marriage, is God in it? In your seeking a spouse? Is it just looking for the pretty one, looking for the handsome one, looking for the good guy? You know, the, no. You know, is God in it? Where is God in, the, in this? This, <clears throat> for God's move, in order for God to have a move, we need to be a channel to him. And we need to, need to take God as our life, right? as our center. Here it says in point D, in all our living, we need to take God as the, our regulating factor and the center of our life. So many, so many aspects. I don't have the time to go to all the examples. But one other thing I, I encounter quite, quite frequently these, these days, from, especially from young adults, you know, they're, they love the Lord. They are here in Boston. You know, they, they are given to the Lord. They work. They have, you know, they're building their career. They're busy. They have a family, three, four children, you know. And uh, they're just fully occupied. But they also love the church. They want to be, in the, you know, fully functioning in the church life. So the question is, they come to us and brothers and say, brother, how do I balance? How do I balance my, my work, my family, and the church? You know, uh, the, the kids are always crying, Daddy, Daddy, you know. And, uh, you know, 
shouldn't we have some balance so that how many hours should I spend in the church one per week in order to, in order to be sufficient, right? Uh, not in order to be enough. You know, what is the measurement? And I told these things. Really, there's no balance. There's really no balance. To some of you, maybe you can only spend two hours or three hours. But to some, you should be able to spend 10 hours, 20 hours. God is your balance. When you take God as the center of your life, you will find a balance. You will find a regulation. I know when I was, you know, when I was a college student, I was a, when I was going to graduate school, and you know, of course, at that, at that time there was no training. But I, when I went to grad, there was there was a vi- very vivid uh, realization within me: the Lord wants to use this school as my training, training me. You know, to you know, even how to manage my time. And you know, I, I, I love to be. I don't want to miss the meetings. I would go, to, but I was clear. I need to go to the prayer meeting for that. You know, fifty minutes, one hour, and that's it. I cannot just hang around and chit chat. I had to go. I had to go to the meeting, pray, exercise, and I need to be, need to be disciplined to uh, go to do my work, do my study. It doesn't mean that, oh, the longer time you, you spend in the church, the better, 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 better brother you are. The Lord may want you to, you only can should spend that much time. Don't think that, oh, the most time you spend in the church, that is the better brother, a better sister. Not necessarily. There are a lot of people just hanging around, nothing, or doing just a... <laughs> spending a lot of time in the meetings in the church. Doesn't mean that you are the best brother, you are a good brother, good sister. Because when you're spending all these time in the meeting, you have not taken God as your center. You should better go home to do your study, clean your bathroom. I mean it. You tell to take God as the center of your life, then you have a balance, you have a regulation. Otherwise, we, we become, you know, imbalanced. We become, we swing from one extreme to the other. It's not a matter of poor or bad, or, or not poor. As Paul says in Philippians, I learned the secret. In all things, I learned how to abound, and I learned how to be in want. And in all things, in all situations, I learn to be satisfied. For I can do all things in the one who empowers me. Christ was his center of his life, and he, was, he becomes the balancing factor, the regulation in his life. I mean, saints, we, we, you know, we, we, we all have a desire. We want to serve the Lord. We give ourselves to the Lord. But no one can tell you how much or how little. Only when you allow God to pass through you. You have to allow him to pass through your being, pass through your marriage life, pass through your service life in the church, pass through your work life. Then he will determine, he will give you the regulation how much to be in this, how much to do that. If we have God as our center, our living will be balanced. Not only our time will be balanced, our finance will be balanced, our energy will be balanced, our emotion will be balanced. We need the balance in all these aspects. 
Sometimes our emotion is not balanced. Oh, sometimes we just uh, get, get uncontrolled emotion. It just it, it get excited to the uttermost. It's good to be, get excited, but on the other hand, don't get overly excited. But neither should you get the other side to become so, so cool, you know, and so cold and cool and somber. That's the other extreme. You have to let God pass through you. Why don't you smile a little bit? <laughs> Why don't you just jump up and praise the Lord a little bit? Yeah, some of us, we are either, some are just, you know, hanging off the ceiling, you know, just uh, so excited, you can't hold them down, but only some are just, you know, staunch face throughout the whole meeting. Where is God as your center? Right? Release your spirit. It's okay to say a hallelujah. <laughs> oh, saints, it's, let that fire burn in you. You are a thorn bush. Let that flame burn in you. God must be our center. God must be our balance. God must be the regulation. We need to let him balance all these things, our finances, how much to give, right? Our energy, our time, our emotion, all needs to be measured by the Lord. Doesn't mean the more the better. No, that's, that's is where is, what is the center of your life? I better finish Without God as our center, we become extreme, leaning too much either to the right or to the left. Now, taking God as our center involves, there are following four, four little practical uh, points. Number one, loving God. Involves, we need to love the Lord. How about, how about we just say two times together, Lord Jesus, I love you. The Lord wants to gain our love, right? It's every day we have to tell the Lord we love him. Anyone who does not love the Lord Jesus is accursed at the end of 1 Corinthians. And the Lord beckons us to love him, not just to be busy, do this or that. Love him first. To love him, to love him with our whole being, with our whole soul, with our whole mind, with our whole heart. This is the, this is the top commandment, right? And if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So to love God surely implies we have an intimate relationship with him. And secondly, we need to consecrate ourselves to God. Some have mistaken, mistaken concept of what consecration is. Thinking consecration means I dedicate myself to do this or that for God. No. Consecration means, if you read Leviticus chapter 8, when Moses consecrated the priesthood to God, Aaron and his sons to be in the priesthood. He anointed them, and they have their hands open and fill their hands with the sacrifices, and they wave the sacrifices before God, and that was consecration. Consecration, this word in the original language means fill, filling of the hands. Fill my hands, Lord. Let Christ fill you, fill you with himself. That is a true consecration, to avail your hands empty, to allow him to fill you. Not for you to, with your hand grabbing your, your hammer, your, your, your book bag, ready to have a, do something for God. No, your hands need to be empty. Let him fill you. Amen. Every morning, we have to consecrate ourselves afresh every day. Don't ever let the flame, the fire of that burnt offering altar go out. 
And number three, contacting God in all things. In everything, we need to come to the Lord, ask him in prayer, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with thanks, uh, by prayer and thanksgiving to make our request known to him. We have a reference verse here in Joshua 9, 14. Remember the situation of the Gibeonites, you know, who pretended to be you know, far away, yet they were very close. They were enemies, and they came to Joshua, and they would treat them as, as even receive them as slaves, not to attack them. And then in Joshua, the record in chapter 9, verse 14 there, it tells it, and then Joshua accepted them without, without consulting Jehovah. Yeah. Went ahead to just accept them and got deceived by them. And the verse says, they, they did not, they, this was a mistake they did because they did not consult Jehovah. So we need to contact God in all things of our life. And finally, spending time to get into his word. So in order for us to take God as our center, we must be those who love the Lord, consecrating ourselves to Him, and contacting Him all the time, and spending time in His Word. Okay, I just, uh, I think I better stop here. I, I still, uh, I think some time for the saints for you to respond. Uh, if we can, it'd be good to keep it to uh, no more than a minute and a half, so that many, many saints can, can share something to respond. Okay? Amen. You know, just that, so we don't waste time. Him. I was touched by uh, Moses. He was limiting God by, <clears throat> for so long, doing so much for God uh, without God. <clears throat> he was not a channel because God was not his center. He was too strong doing things in himself, limiting God. God needs a thorn bush. <laughs> and Moses became a thorn bush, and we must become thorn bushes. Amen. That means we become nothing. And what is the fuel? Uh, not Moses, not us, but God is the fuel. Amen. God is the fireball. Amen. God wants a fireball in Boston, Amen. a fireball on the earth. Amen. He wants to be a fireball in us. Amen. So may we be nothing. May we just be <clears throat> the thorn bushes holding the flame, Amen. holding the fireball. Amen. The Lord can do everything that he wants on the earth. Especially seeing that when it's settled in our being that God would be our center, then our being is open to be his channel. Um, and so I just appreciated at the end these practical matters of what it is to take God as our center. This involves loving God. <laughs> we need to be those who love him with the first love. 
It also involves our consecrating ourselves to God. Amen. Every day our consecration needs to be fresh. Amen. And then we need to contact God in all things, Amen. to consult with him in everything. Amen. And then lastly, to spend time to get into the word. Amen. So we take care of these matters. There will be such a willingness in our being to, to be an open vessel and a channel for him. Amen. We will not want to be, uh, pose any limitation to him. Amen. Lord Jesus, Amen. gain what you're after in us. Amen. Lord Jesus, gain what you're after in us. Amen. Just freshly touched, the Lord wants to have a thoroughfare in us for the gospel. You know, when uh, the Lord wanted to preach the gospel to Cornelius, he sent an angel to speak to Cornelius to go get Peter so that Peter could speak the gospel. Saints, we have the wonderful privilege to speak the gospel. And there are so many people around us that God wants to flow out to. Just realize we, touch, we contact certain people, and those people were only around for a limited amount of time. And I just regret so much not taking the opportunity to flow out. But, saints, we have another chance. Uh, after hearing this word tonight, Lord Jesus, flow through us. Amen. Flow out of me in the gospel. Amen. Especially my being here in Boston with so many young people. Yeah. Flow out of me as the gospel to people all around me. God desires to flow out to people. And he needs us to be his channels. Um, I was very impressed that God chose to be limited by man. And it's, it's not just uh, somewhat limited, it is absolutely limited. He, he heard Israel's cry um, when they were in Egypt, but he waited for Moses to become such a channel. And the same situation is happening today where he's, he needs people who realize not only that we're nothing, that we're thorn bushes, but also that we're thorn bushes to be carriers of the flame to be carrier for God to flow himself into the, the people around us. Um, I was also touched by the story of Cornelius and Peter that God didn't send an angel, that he needed man to speak the gospel. What a privilege for us to be ones who can share this word and that being a channel just means that we're giving the Lord away. Um, that it's not something that we have or a machine that we can make something, but we're just empty. Um, even Peter was, in a sense, had some concepts, but he became a channel for this, um, for Cornelius' household to be saved. Amen. 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 The sharing tonight reminded me of some uh, verses I enjoyed recently in my Bible reading. This is in Mark 11. I think a lot of these components are found in this section. This is the Lord entering into Jerusalem on the cult, right? So he's limited, and he, so he sends disciples to go get a cult. And they bring the cult to him, and then they, this is verses uh, 7 and 8, they brought the cult to Jesus and threw their garments on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their garments in the road, and others spread layers of branches full of tender leaves, having cut them out of the fields. And so there's a few footnotes here. This is, this is the bridge, right, for him to enter into Jerusalem. Uh, the garments signify people's conduct and the virtues expressed in people's conduct. The disciples put their garments on the road for the Lord to ride on, and many spread their garments on the road for him to pass through, signifying on the one hand that they revered him, they were taking him as their center, and on the other hand that their conduct, which is an expression of their human virtues, was a seat 
on which he could rest in a way he could pass through. Amen. Our deeds and our conduct should pave the way for the Lord and serve on a seat at, for which he can rest. Amen. So may we experience the Lord in this kind of way. Amen. Our conduct could pave the way and be a channel for him. Amen. Be full of tender leaves Amen. and to, to walk through. Amen. Um, I was just so impressed tonight. Uh, so on the one hand, God has completely limited himself to man. Yet what he's seeking is man who's absolutely limited himself to God. Because for God to be the center of man, that just means man can do nothing apart from God. And I was just, I never saw Philippians 4, uh, 12 and 13 in this line. Paul was able to say he knew how to be a base and knew how to abound. Because he took Christ as the center. He didn't take anything else as the center. He didn't take what he thought was right, or what he thought was good or bad, but he just took Christ. Christ is our balance. Um, This was so impressive to me. So everything that happened to man after the fall was not the focus. The focus that happened after he ate of the tree of life, of uh, tree of knowledge of good and evil, was all missing the mark. We should be focused on whether God is in it or not. Amen. Amen. I was really impressed that man's unique status in the universe is a bridge and a way for God to reach from eternity past to eternity future. Amen. And so applies to every one of us. We are in Boston because God wants to have a way. Amen. And I was so impressed that it's so it's so often for me to think I'm sent to a certain place with a purpose, with a commission to do something. But the Lord wants us here as a way. Amen. As the bridge that can cooperate Amen. by being a thorn bush. By being nothing, by being worthless, but fully available. Amen. And let's just, let's just get, um, scatter all the excuses. The Lord just wants us to be thorn bushes and to take Him as our center and to be His channels. How we need to be reminded continuously and give ourselves to be this way. Yeah, I feel like there's many things in my being that stand against uh, just being a a vile thorn bush. There's so much that wants to be a good brother. There's so much that wants to do well, you know, and just and be looked highly upon by the saints and. Uh, my goal in going to the training was to be like the best trainee ever. And then, <laughs> not even close. Not even close. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's encur- so it's just encouraging that the Lord is bringing us through so many things to show us what we really are. We don't know that. We don't know that yet. And we think we, we think He wants us to be something that we're not. But He knows that we're a thornbush, and He just wants us to be that thornbush wow. with a fire. <laughs> just open a thornbush that's open to the Lord, and available for Him to burn in us. Yeah, uh, I'm in a graduate school, and I don't want to be limited to the gospel and the shepherding. And, but I want to be a channel of the Lord in the campus. But also, I cannot do all these things independently. But God should be the center, and God should be the fuel in the gospel preaching as well as in the shepherding. Amen. Amen. Saints, I was so impressed tonight that the perfect and complete will of the omnipotent God is dependent on man's will to take God as his everything. Um, This is what we were created for. This is what we were redeemed for. This is what we were saved for. 
um, and this is all for that he can gain a counterpart for his satisfaction and for his move. I'm really appreciative of tonight's work, um, how it really places our being here in Boston in the, the scope of just the history of the universe, right? We see that God is carrying out a work of creation, redemption, and building. And each work has a progressive significance, meaning that each work, uh, the work that, that follows it, is more important than the previous one. For creation, he didn't really need a channel, uh, or it, it wasn't necessary for men to take him as a center because he did it in and out of himself. But for the work of redemption, he needed Mary, right? He needed Mary as a, as a channel uh, for him to be able to come uh, to the earth to carry out redemption. But the, the greatest work that he's doing is this work of building, the mingling of divinity and humanity. And this, for this, he needs a corporate channel, which is us. And he also needs us to, for us to take him as his son. So I read a, a footnote um, earlier this week, and it said, um, Because our life is hidden with Christ in God, who is in the heavens, we should no longer be concerned for things on the earth. And when I read that, we should no longer be concerned for things on the earth, I thought, wow, that's impossible. <laughs> How can we not be concerned with things on the earth? But I was impressed tonight to see that um, the reason why concern, we have concern is because God is not our center. With, back with um, Adam and Eve, in the garden, they had no concern because God was everything to them. But once... We, once, God is no, once we become independent from God and God is no longer our center, then what happens? We have so many concerns. They were concerned about their you know, nakedness and all these things, their you know, food and everything like that. Um, and so I was just really touched tonight that we need to be recovered back to God as our center. Um, if, we are, if we have... God is our center, then we have no concern. Amen. The phrase that kept coming to me again and again during the message was the multifarious wisdom of God. Amen. Right? This, is, this is really a glory to God that, it, that he would work out in such a way. Uh, and a uh, consideration I had as Brother James was speaking about the dam full of water, full of the power of God, God wanting to move. And this little restriction is that in my experience, it's not so much a solid thing, um, but as we begin to allow the Lord to flow through us, there's really an erosion that makes this channel larger and larger. So I was just very encouraged. This is not something where we have to wait for our pipe to be, you know, two feet and then we let it go. But as we begin to let the Lord flow through us, really there's an erosion, in, you know, of all the negative things, all the things hindering him, and he can begin to flow more and more. Amen. He needs the opening so he can begin to flow more and more. And I appreciated that this, this, this uh, message doesn't begin with God being man-centered and end with man being God's channel. But first we're impressed with the fact that God needs man. God is limited by our cooperation. God is limited just as a, a, dam, a, wa a dam full of water is limited to a two-inch hole. So if we see, you know, <laughs> the principle then we, we should have a response. And I feel like there, there should be a response in us, some kind of feeling to this, uh, to this, this great limitation of God. Who, who will go for us? Who can I send? We should pity God. Lord, 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 gain the response 
rejoice tonight. Amen. That we would, be, we would be those who take God as our center. Amen. Nothing else, even in all our relationships with man, all our, all our work, everything we do, we would learn to take God as our center. Amen. Amen. Uh, praise the Lord for this word. Amen. <laughs> what an outstanding message. And uh, full of significance. And I just felt that in the message, the Lord opened his heart to us. Amen. Concerning a very real and a very practical situation. And that is, there's a kind of a dilemma here. Uh, and at one point in the message, James mentioned that this is a kind of sobering thing for us to realize. And that is, that this unlimited, universal, eternal God has chosen to be limited by a limited man. Not only a, a, a man, but a, a thorn bush full of problems, full of spikes, uh, full of needles. And so God, somehow in his sovereignty, has chosen to limit himself to such a man for him to carry out his eternal move. And his move is to spread his kingdom over the whole earth. And to bring in the new Jerusalem, the eternal city. So we have this situation before us where the eternal God is limited. But now this word is presented to us, uh, revealing that in the Bible and in God's heart, he has chosen to limit himself to man. The question becomes, what do we do about it? What can we do about it? And I just felt, uh, you know, God has this situation, really, of his own sovereign making, really, uh, in which he has limited himself. But, as James said at one point, where are the openings? Where are the channels? Uh, we have the, the, this great force. You have the sense there's, at one point, he said, God is waiting to explode in Boston. Amen. How do you like that word, explode? Amen. I'd like to see the Lord flood Boston. Amen. How about you? Amen. I'd like to see this happen. Amen. I'd like to see the enemy put to shame. Amen. I'd like to see the Lord bring in his eternal kingdom. Amen. I'd like to see us pave the way to the new Jerusalem. Amen. How about that? Do you want to see that? Amen. I surely want to see that. Amen. The Lord wants to see that. Amen. But there's something that's needed. Amen. And that is that there would be some holes punched into this dam. Amen. There's a dam that's blocking the eternal God. Amen. He's chosen, he's allowed this, but he wants to know, okay, where are the openings? Where are the channels? Amen. Oh Lord, make me a channel. Amen. Make us all channels. Amen. That you could break through. Amen. And I just feel this word was a word to us, a specific word to us. A word out of the Lord's heart. Amen. Now is the time. Amen. Now is the opportunity. Amen. Here is our opportunity. Amen. To really be channels for this eternal God to flow out. Amen. And I just, I just have this prayer. Lord, pass through me. Amen. Deal with anything you need to deal with. Amen. I do not want to hinder you anymore. Amen. I do not want to be a hindrance to you at this time. Amen. Oh, Lord, pass through all of us. I really enjoy this word. Pass through! Amen. God needs an opening! Amen. Paul was an open vessel. Amen. And I was thinking, Lord, you know, how much more can I open the pipe? But 
Saints, it is a corporate opening. Amen. All of our vessels together. Amen. God wants to flood Boston Amen. and all of New England. Amen. He wants a fireball, Amen. but he needs a place for it to sit. Amen. And so he needs open vessels. Amen. I was touched up. God can do nothing without us, and we can do nothing without him as our center. Amen. It's a total mutual dependence for God to accomplish his eternal purpose and consummate this third stage has everything to to do with God getting into man being mingled with man being one with man he needs a channel and he needs to be our center praise the Lord hallelujah what a timely word I really believe the Lord spoke something very dear to each one of us. Uh, you know, Brother Bob sent me a, an email recently about the, um, a link. Uh, I, th- I believe it says man of turn the age or young man. Age Age turns, okay. A link of this, uh, this uh, recordings about uh, age turns. And I was listening to that, you know, and these like five college students in Western Massachusetts. Anyway, you have to listen to the whole thing. I don't have time to get into it. But if really five college students came together to pray, and the Lord had a way to turn, turn the age. So I really appreciate it. Here we are in Boston. Amen. Oh, Lord Jesus. Amen. We have a little bit more than five now. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. The Lord brought us here. Amen. To turn the age. He doesn't want us to do so much for him, but just to be channels for him. Yeah. Really appreciate that. Uh, it's not so much to be a powerful, dynamic preacher of the gospel, but just open channels to allow him to flow through us, allow him to pass through us, that so he can do something, right? He wants to burn Boston. Amen. Oh, Lord Jesus. Amen. And we can be those channels, allow him to pass through us. Amen. To something that would happen in Boston. You know, there's, there's a lot of history here. Uh, so many before us, you know, over 100 years. And uh, even some came from Europe to Boston. But here we are today. Amen. We are in the history. <laughs> Making history in Boston. Amen. Oh, Lord Jesus. Amen. Allow the Lord to flow through us. Amen. Oh, taking God as our center. Amen. Depending on Him. Oh, Lord, allow Him to be the one, everything to us. Amen. Oh, Lord. Do it, Lord. Amen. Do it in Boston. Amen. Do among us. Amen. Do it today. Oh, Lord, we will give you the free way, a free course in our being. Allow you to do something here according to your desire. Praise the Lord. So we'll close now, saints, and, uh, we'll, but we'll continue tomorrow. Tomorrow will be at L.Y. Cambridge at 7.30. And uh, so we'll continue to go to James and the message. But tomorrow, hell wife is 7.30. Praise the Lord. Amen. I'm speaking to the Lord. Amen.